0: Good morning, saints. So good to be here with you. Um, Let's stand together and let's read Isaiah six together. Isaiah chapter six reads. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turned and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is the stump. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. I want to thank you all for the kind, welcome, and joyful time of worship through song. In this time that we are living in, we need a holy God. We are in a time when 18-year-olds outdo one another in homicidal massacres. Treating the sacred image of God like a video game character that you can destroy without recompense. We are in a time when certain shepherds who were supposed to protect the sheep, they were supposed to take care of them, feed them, nurture them. Instead, they devour the sheep, use them for their own lustful pleasures, leveraging their power to try to cover it up and devour anyone who tries to expose them. We praise God that things like these are being exposed. But to my point, we need a holy God because left to ourselves, the weight of living in an unholy world will crush us. Do you know the Holy One of Israel? Well, you may say, Welton, if all this evil exists and this holy God exists, why would I want to know him? The only reason that I am in church is because my friend invited me and I was being polite. But I can't believe this nonsense. Or maybe it's a little bit Less theoretical for you. You may say, "Wellton, I am one of those young ladies or young men that was abused by a pastor or one of my family members close. How could I, how could I trust a God who let this happen to me? Wellton, I lost my brother or friend to, to gun violence. Why would a holy God let this happen to me? Well, I don't want to overpromise answers and undeliver. However, I believe as we look into Isaiah six and behold the glory of Yahweh, the holy one of Israel, you may just walk away from here, finding yourself asking different questions. Questions of greater significance, new questions like, how can I see more of God's holiness in this unholy world? How could I be so loved by someone who is so much greater than I am? How can I live my life to serve this holy God who in such a corrupt world, how can I become holy in this unholy world? Please pray with me. Father, we need you to show us your glory. We need, us, we need you, God, to show us your holiness and your greatness. Lord, if you don't, left to ourselves, we'll die. Left to ourselves, we are without hope in this world. But we praise you for giving us hope in your son, Jesus. Now, please show us his glory. Show us his greatness, and we pray comfort, comfort for those who mourn in Buffalo, Uvalde, and and may you be with the abuse survivors who suffered at the hands of ungodly SBC pastors. Please make your church more holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the title of this message is Beholding the Holy God. Beholding the Holy God. For those who like to know the structure up front, maybe you're a little bit more structured and organized, here are four exhortations for you. Number one, behold the holy God in his temple. Behold the holy God in his temple. That's verses 1 through 4 in Isaiah 6. Number two, beware of your uncleanness and that of your people. That's Isaiah 6 verse 5. Beware of your uncleanness and that of your people. Number three, be cleansed of your sins by grace alone. Be cleansed of your sins by grace alone. That's verses 6 through 7. And lastly, be sent to proclaim no matter the cost. Be sent to proclaim no matter the cost. cost. That's verses 8 through 13. Let's begin with number one. Behold the holy God in this temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah says. Immediately note that it is that Isaiah saw the Lord when his earthly master had died or was dying. We often find ourselves seeing God's infinite holiness more clearly when we see how finite, how temporary, how weak and fragile earthly rulers are. Uzziah was a good king for most of his reign, but then he grew arrogant and sinned against God's holy presence by presuming that he could go and enter the temple, the holy place, and offer sacrifices himself, a job that was only reserved for the priest. Well, God dealt with his arrogance, just like he will deal with you and I. He judged him by striking him with skin disease. Many people call it leprosy, but that's a poor word, But because that typically indicates Hansen's disease. But he strikes him with skin disease, which was which was basically a visible marker that you must be banished from the presence of a holy God. That you could no longer be in fellowship with this holy God or his people. He was outcast. And saints, this was the fate of this great king. And it was in the context of this great king's death that Isaiah saw the holy God. And when we see good rulers and bad rulers alike, bad leaders, good leaders alike fall or die, their failure and their weakness can be an opportunity for us to better see God's greatness. It is in that immeasurable comparison that we see how great our God is, and that is what happens. And let me ask you, are you seeing God clearly these days? Maybe you aren't seeing God clearly because man is too big in your eyes. Maybe your parents, politicians, and God forbid your pastors here, you have faithful pastors here, but maybe even they have grown grown too big in your eyes. Maybe you're focused on pleasing them too much. Your eyes have been settled on that precious relationship rather than the precious Savior and King. And it is only as we see man's uh, fragility that we can see God's greatness. And let me tell you about something about man. Man will die. All of us are fragile. So in the words of Isaiah, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath. For what, of what account is he? The answer to that question is man is of no account. We will not stand before man on judgment day. We will stand before a holy God on judgment day. It is he who will last. Man fades. All flesh fades like grass, but it is the word of the Lord that endures forever. But look at the Lord even closer. Look at what the Lord is doing, what Isaiah sees the Lord doing. In verse 1 it says, he saw him sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. That word, that title for the Lord, because uh, you might see there's Lord with a capital L and lowercase O-R-D. And then there's all capital L-O-R-D. But here it is capital L lowercase, all the rest. That is talking about Adonai. That is the Hebrew word for God being the master. He is the master who is sitting on his throne. Though earthly kings fade away, the glory and rulership of God will endure forever, saints. And that is good news. That's that's why we have to delight in him above all else. Because all shall fade, but his throne is not shaken. While King Uzziah died and fell from his throne, God sits on his throne unendingly, unbothered. He does not falter. He does not fail. While King Uzziah died and fell from his throne, God sits on his throne un- in all glory and honor and ruling and rest. All we like of earth are, of gra- are like grasshoppers in his presence. We are so small. He is so big. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Oh, that's good news. Behold him. We must stop trying to put God on our level. We have to stop evaluating God. He is not to be judged. He is the judge. And he is the judge of, all the earth and he shall do right. Are you ready to stand before this holy God? Are you ready to give an account before him? Are you ready to enter into this glorious presence? If not, you need to get ready. Because you will you will have to stand before him one day and that day if you have not if you haven't seen on the news that day may come sooner than you think. We tomorrow is not promised. All we will have to give an account, if you are a Christian here this morning, you will have to give an account for how you lived your Christian walk. If you are not currently walking in a relationship with God, if you're currently living in unrepentant sin, you will have to give an account to God. The Christian will be delivered. Those who are not in Christ will be judged. Are you ready for that day? Well, let's look at the last part of verse one. Look at how it says, "In the the train of his robe filled the temple." You see that? Well, that actually a better translation. If you have an ESV Bible, it has in the footnote the hem of his robe. And that footnote it says the hem. That's the better translation. Ancient Near Eastern robes didn't have trains; they had hems. And this hem was so big that it was able to fill a seventy foot temple. This is just a hymn. I don't know about you, but I have hymns on my clothes. They are not 70 foot tall. But this great God that Isaiah is beholding, he is so huge, so magnanimous, so, so gargantuan that his rope, just the hymn of it. Just the bottom, the bottom of it is able to fill a 70 foot temple. The question then is impressed upon us, how great is this God? How big is He? I guarantee you He's a lot bigger than what you think He is. Our greatest imaginations cannot even begin to grasp it. We can only get the outskirts of His greatness. He is so large, so huge. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. Do you delight in him? Are you rejoicing in this great God? And not to mention, now that we mention angels, look at the text in verse 2. It talks about these, these angelic creatures. These angelic creatures, and there's so much I could say about them, but what you need to see here is their their posture and their praise. Their posture and their praise. Their posture. They have six wings, okay? There's two of them. They're, co- they're talking two back and forth to one another. But first he describes their posture. They're flying above God. God is so big that while he is seated, these angelic creatures need wings to get up around him, okay? He is that huge, that great, that awesome. And and then these angelic creatures who have never sinned, never erred in their ways like we have, they have to shield their face and their feet from the greatness of this holy God. If angelic creatures who have never erred have to cover themselves before the greatness of God's holiness, how much more do we need a cover before him? How much more us sinful people, all we like sheep have gone astray. How much more do we need a covering in his presence? They have to shield themselves because God is so great. God is so glorious. I hope I am helping you behold his greatness. I hope that the eyes of your faith, the the eyes of your heart are being enlightened as you hear of his greatness. That you're beholding him now in his greatness. And and they have to cover their face. They have to cover their feet. And then it says that they are praising. It says, one said to the other, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Savaoth that title Yahweh notice at the text if you look if you look closely look at the text it says holy 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 is all capital lord of hosts that word there in the hebrew is yahweh and i could spend a long time telling you of this great name the name of our great god but yahweh speaks of his preexistence His self-existence and him being the source of all life. Pre-existence, self-existent, source of all life. He's saying, holy, holy, holy is the pre-existent, self-existent source of all life. He is so holy, this great God. And he is Yahweh, Sabaoth. Yahweh of hosts. That's talking about his angelic armies. But the key word here, it's repeated three times. Three, usually for emphasis, to, to kind of say, verily, verily, you repeat preach something twice. Biblical tradition, that's what, how it works. But here, the angels are in God's presence, and they, they say he's holy. But saying it one time ain't good enough. They say he's holy, holy, but that's not good enough either. either. They say, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. To be holy is to be set apart as transcendent and pure. He is set apart. He is distinguished from all that is lowly, all that is creation. That is, that is lower beneath him. He is transcendent. He is far above. High and lifted up is he. This is the great God that we worship. He is set apart. He's distinctive. From all of creation, even the angels, in his superiority and morality and purity and justice and righteousness. For a human to be holy means he has been chosen, cleansed and consecrated to enter God's sacred presence. But what does it mean for God who has no need for cleansing to to be holy? It is that He is the source of all cleansing. He is the source of all purity. There is nothing corrupt in Him. As James can say, He is the Father of life, lights of whom there is no variation or shifting shadow, shadows. He, he is of utter purity. Utter perfection. And so when they cry out, holy, 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 they are saying, oh, he's so superior. Oh, he's so exalted. He's so pure. And they have to repeat it over and over again because it's true. Are you beholding this God? Do you see his glory? And do you want to see his glory? Well, the text says you don't have to look far. Look at the text. It says that the the whole... Earth, not some of the earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. So if you want to see the visible reflection of God's holiness, take a look around you. Take a look at man made in his image. Take a look at the stars and the moon. Gaze at, at how wonderful they are and they will begin to point you to his glory. The best of that this earth has to offer is just a small glimpse of his greatness. It's all around you. But are you beholding it? Are you seeing? Romans one nineteen says it well, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Why? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. God's glory is evident. It's here. But have you become numb to it? Are you beholding God's presence regularly in among God's people? See, the temple of old that Isaiah saw God's glory in is gone. That temple has been destroyed. But the new covenant temple in the New Testament is you and I. This local church right here. Is the temple of God. When you gather and assemble. Ta-da. You're the temple. And it is in the gathering of God's people. We are to behold his greatness. Are you beholding his greatness among the people of God? Are we beholding his greatness as we gather and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Are we beholding him as we hold one another accountable? Are you beholding him through the eyes of faith as the word of God is proclaimed? Are you beholding him right now? We don't want to be people that worship God with our lips, yet our hearts are far from him. May it never be at Restoration Church. See, if you have been going through the motions of worship... And just showing up, but you have not been showing up with a heart that says, I want to, I want to gaze upon the beauty of his presence. One thing I have asked, one thing I desire that I may see his glory, to behold him amongst his temple. That is the greatest thing is that your posture as you gather as the church. If not, let us repent and ask God for mercy. Let's ask him to, Forgive us and to show us His glory. Number two, we must beware of our uncleanness and that of our people. We must beware of our uncleanness and that of our people. <laughs> There's this movie that I that I watched. Some of you might know. It's called Slumdog Millionaire. There's a moment where this young boy is wanting to see this superstar that has visited his slum, slum-like town in India. And so he, he's excited to see him, but he has to use this outhouse. And his friends, being jokesters, they lock him in the outhouse so that he can't see his great superstar hero. But this boy, being of great commitment to see him jumps inside of the outhouse pit. Okay? It's... He's he's filthy. Okay? He jumps in and he's covered in feces. And he goes to this superstar to get his autograph. He goes in his presence, defiled. Now this 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 superstar is actually kind enough to sign it for him. But when this text talks about our posture before God, when he says, I am a man of unclean lips. Morally before God, we are much like that little boy. We are covered in filth natively, naturally to ourselves. That is our state apart from Christ. Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. What he is saying is that we are utterly filthy in in God's presence. And I could show you more in this text, but that word unclean is is mainly a Levitical word. What that means is that it's talking about the the worship setting of the people of God in the old covenant, in the tabernacle. And anything unclean is unwelcomed, not even only unwelcomed from the presence of God, but it's repulsive to the presence of God. And it wasn't just morally wrong things that made people unclean. It's normal stuff. Burying a dead body. If you touch that body, you were rendered unclean. Other natural things would render a person unclean. And what that was showing, it was drawing a line of demarcation between God's holy presence, the utmost cleanliness, and us So there's kind of the common state, the clean, the unclean, and then all the way over here is the holy. And so if you became unclean, you were the furthest away from God's presence. And the worst condition of uncleanness that a person could have was skin disease. Just like Uzziah had. You were banished to walk like a zombie for the rest of your life, banished as like the walking dead for until you were able to be made pure. And that was the odd thing about skin disease. It could last for the rest of your life like Uzziah. And as Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 says, says something so powerful in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 through 46. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! Cover his upper lip, cry out unclean twice. Well, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. All of us, Isaiah recognizes that not only himself as an individual is like this skin disease person because he uses the same verbiage, unclean lips, unclean lips. Same thing, Leviticus 13, 45, cover the upper upper lip, unclean, unclean. Just like the skin-diseased person was to be banished from the presence of God, so too was Isaiah. But not only Isaiah. He also recognized he and all his people were to be banished too. He recognized that they, like the skin-diseased person, were unworthy to enter the presence of God. Question. If an individual is supposed to be banished from the land, right? Supposed to get kicked out of the land. What happens if all the people of God have become unclean? They too must get banished from the land. Isaiah and his contemporaries. Deserve just like the skin disease person, to be banished from the land. And that's exactly what happened in 586 B.C. They were banished from Palestine. They were banished from Jerusalem. They were cast out. We all are like they. We have gone astray and we deserve to be cast out from God's presence. If you are not a Christian in here, if you have not repented of your sins and taken up your cross to follow Jesus, you deserve to be banished from God's presence for all eternity. You deserve to be cast out from His glorious goodness. The, 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 t- the, the small fraction, these horrible things we've seen this week are just a small picture of the evil of this world, we all deserve that for all eternity. That is what we deserve, saints, because of our dirtiness before God. And if you are not in Christ, you deserve to be banished for all eternity. But I have good news for you. And Christian, I hope you have not grown so used or stagnant to the gospel where you're like, oh, Jesus forgave my sins. I'm good. Where you've become kind of flippant with your sin. I hope that your sin convicts you and you realize that apart from Christ's blood, you are filthy and deserve to be banished from his presence too lest our Christian churches become a club of people who think we are better than others. Instead, we should look out at the world and say, that is us apart from Christ. Unclean am I, and unclean is my society, and we all deserve to be banished, but praise be to God that he's not left us in that state. Number three, Be cleansed of your sins by grace alone. Be cleansed of your sins by grace alone. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. By God's grace alone, not by Isaiah's works. Not by Isaiah saying, I am a good person. Not by Isaiah thinking he was more righteous than others. None of that was able to cover his sin and cleanse him of his iniquity. And none of that will ever cleanse you and I from what we deserve. None of that. It is only by divine initiative. It is that. That is what we see Then one of the seraphim flew to me. It is God who takes the initiative in our salvation. It is God who initiates our cleansing. It is God who does the work. And praise be to God for that. Because if it was left to ourselves, we would have no hope. We would be banished forever. But God, in his mercy, he takes the initiative, and it, it takes this hot coal off of the altar and put it on his lips. What a burning hot—the the angel needs needs uh, uh, tongs to hold this coal, and then he presses it up on Isaiah's lips. The visual is of searing, hot pain in order to be cleansed. It's the sacrificial altar that is able to cleanse Isaiah's sins. And this actually is a foreshadowing of a greater cleansing to come that we see in Isaiah 53. Fast forward, saints. Isaiah 53. You can read it. It says, Who has believed? What he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as as one from whom men hide their faces. This description is much like a skin-diseased person. Christ, the Messiah, would be despised and rejected just like a skin-diseased person would be despised and rejected. Men would cover their faces from him just like they would a skin-diseased person. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That word sorrows is sickness. That word grief is actually illness in Hebrews. He was, he was known for being ill just like the people of God. Earlier in Isaiah, were depicted as sick and ill. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. But look at what he does. Surely he has borne our griefs. Those sicknesses were not his, they were ours. Those sins were not his own, they were ours. His griefs were not his own, they were ours. He carried them in our place. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We were looking at him as if he was the divinely afflicted, just like a person with skin disease would have been looked at as divinely afflicted. That was our Christ. This is substitutionary atonement, as the Bible talks about. Jesus in the place of his people. Jesus taking the sins and the wickedness and the suffering and the pain and the curse of sin that was passed down from Adam to us. Christ took that in our place and he carried them and he did not drop them, but he carried them to their ultimate end. All we like sheep have gone astray, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Notice how it. Transitions from sickness, illness directly to sin is both the weaknesses of, of the earth that Christ took in our place and he took the evils, our sins, our offenses to God. He took it all. He was pierced for it all. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. Why does it use the word healed? because it's a link all throughout Isaiah of these sick people that have been cast out. It is through him that they are healed and brought back to be into his presence. Those who were cast out can be brought near through Christ and his blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But, If we confess our sins, the Lord Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of that terminology is going back to Leviticus and Isaiah and all these to show us that Christ was the, the one who, according to the scripture, was the Messiah, just like the Old Testament prophesied. Have you trusted in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you believed that he carried your sicknesses, your dirtiness, your corruption, your idolatry, your injustice, your hypocrisy to the cross where he died in your place? Do you believe it? Oh, believers, see the glory of Jesus here. Please, I plead with you, see his glory. Don't lose your amazement and wonder of this great sacrifice. This is not just what got you started into Christianity, saints. This is the key to Christianity. Can you imagine if you got a vehicle for your birthday, but there was no keys attached? You would not be able to enjoy it, no matter how nice of a car it was. The keys to the Christian faith is this gospel that I just preached. Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. That is the key to our whole Christian walk. Don't lose the glory of the gospel. Cling to it because it is our only hope. What do you need to do to keep this fresh in your life? One of the best things you can do is to search the Old Covenant text, the Old Testament, to see how they all point us to Jesus Christ. Texts like Isaiah 53 Maybe take some time and let this marinate on your soul. Think about your griefs that you've endured. Think about your sins that easily beset you. Think about those things and think about those things placed on Christ in your stead. See, does not that, see how that will stir up affections in your heart for him. Finally, Be sent to proclaim no matter the cost. Be sent to proclaim no matter the cost. I don't have time to go line upon line, verse upon verse in this text, but I want to draw your attention to a couple of things here. Number one, Isaiah has been cleansed and that motivated him to volunteer for Jesus. It is something about being forgiven much, that makes us love much. When you realize how, how, how dirty you are and how far from God you really were, no matter if you grew up in church or not, your state is still unclean, native to yourself. And it is through the blood of Jesus that brought you near, even if you don't have this horrific testimony like I do. It's the same gospel that saved you that saved me. Isaiah hears Yahweh Adonai saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And in short, who will be my ambassadors? Who will be my representatives? And then Isaiah volunteers. He says, Here I am, send me. Have you answered the Lord's call to go to the nations this week? Have you taken an opportunity to proclaim this cleansing blood of Jesus? an empty tomb to to the lost people around you? Because remember, they're unclean. Remember, they deserve to be banished for all eternity. Remember, that was you too. And that Christ cleansed you. Has that motivated you? That's my alarm to let me know that my 40 minutes is up. (laughs) Have you taken that opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus and let me encourage you that it should be the love of Christ that compels you not just mere grit not just mere drudgery oh i have to share the gospel with somebody should be oh my goodness he died in my place he bore the wrath that that was reserved for me he Is my substitute? Oh, Lord, here am I, send me. It is that. It is only that type of compulsion that can drive us to the ends of the earth. It is only that type of compulsion that can call us to Malawi, right? It is only that type of compulsion that can get us east of the river. Into the gunshots, into the poverty, into the hurt. It is only that type of compulsion of the love of Christ that can call us to these, to GW, to American University, to affluent people that are apathetic to the word of God. But we still say, God, I'll go. No matter the cost. You might say, what about rejection? Well, (laughs) I got some good news for you and some bad news. (laughs) <laughs> the bad news is you will be rejected. In fact, many ministries are rejected more than they're accepted. The good news is that your rejection level is not like Isaiah's. Isaiah never, except for a little bit with Hezekiah, saw fruit in his ministry. His Literal call. Read the text closely. He's literally called to preach and know that his preaching is only going to make their hearts harder. It's only going to make their judgment more final. That is Isaiah's call. But Isaiah still went because he knew God. He knew the glory of Christ. Of the Messiah that was to come. He knew he knew this greatness of God, and he said, you know what? No matter the cost, I'll go. Well, let me guarantee you this. Christian, you do not have the same call as Isaiah exactly because you are not guaranteed failure, so to speak. But the truth is, if faithfulness is success, then Isaiah was still successful even though he didn't see fruit. He was faithful to the call, but we are guaranteed. Look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. All authority has been given to me, heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. He didn't say try to make disciples. He said do it. So that means that there are disciples to be made. We are guaranteed that there are some of the elect that are around that will respond to the message one way or another. So we have an exciting call. God is not like maybe go make disciples. He said do it. Let that fortify your heart. And he said he's going to be with us always. I love y'all's mission statement. Making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ in all things or something to that effect. That is what we're called to. So let us go. Saints, let us behold his glory. Beware of our uncleanness be cleansed by Christ Jesus, and be sent as his ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us to go forth from here as your ambassadors while we play kickball, while we're at the workplace, while we're at home with our children. May we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ till you return. And oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be when our faith becomes sight and we get to see the glory of Jesus face to face. We love you. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.